Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBCSN. Third day without the radio clock that I've been mentioning from time to time this week. It gives us a lot more freedom. It gives us a lot more ability to talk, to not have to worry about so many breaks. Chris Sims has been the beneficiary of that for the past couple of days. Peter King, joining me momentarily, will be benefiting from that today over the course of the next two hours as we continue to discuss the many issues that are still pending for the National Football League despite the coronavirus pandemic. The draft is coming in two weeks and six days, and there is an ongoing flow of NFL news and information. And here is Peter King coming to us from his home in New York City. Peter, how are you holding up? How's everything going? Mike, as I've told so many people in the last few days, I I work out of my house anyway. So do you. It's not very rare for me to leave my house three times a day to walk my dog because that's what I usually do. You know, so, uh, and uh, hey, the streets are different. It's quieter. Uh, Every time you hear an ambulance, which when you live in Brooklyn, New York, you have a sick feeling because you think you know what it is. It's, uh, you know, it's it's an eerie time to be in a very dead New York. But hey, uh, the deader it is now, the better it's going to be in a couple of months. And one of the things that we've been explaining every day is that we are trying to continue to do this show as best we can to provide the people out there who are dealing with the psychological effects of this, who are stuck at home, who have been robbed of their routine. We're trying to preserve some semblance of a routine for them, being here every day, giving them something they can focus on that is separate from that constant drip. And at times it's a lot more than a drip of bad news as it relates to the pandemic. And Peter, I heard from a couple of our viewers yesterday. One thing that I don't think we are focused on enough is the reality that, and we we see all the videos on social media of the families who are pressed together. There's a lot of people out there who are truly isolated. They're in solitary confinement. They live alone. They are alone. And the longer this lasts, the harder it gets. And I feel like we have an even greater obligation to reach out to those folks and give them that sense of 
of regularity and normalcy because they are getting through this thing with no one else around them. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Mike. And there's a lot of people. I live in a big apartment building in, in Brooklyn. And there are a lot of people in our building who live alone. In fact, we went down, my wife and I went down to the front desk a week or so ago and said, listen, if there are any elderly people in this building, anybody living alone here who really need help, they need something, they need to go to the grocery store, or they need to have something done that's very important, just tell us. We'll, we'll help them. They need to have a bottle of wine bought for them. Luckily, in New York, you can still buy a bottle of wine. But I, I, that's what I think is so important today, that people who are alone have a lifeline. Hopefully, if it's a football lifeline, here it is. You know, we'll be, uh, we'll argue and cajole and probably be wrong a lot in the next two hours. I'll slap you around, you'll slap me around, and hopefully... Uh, somebody will get a wry smile or a, I hated King anyway out of this. So hopefully we can do something for people, Mike, in the next two hours. Yeah, and I appreciate those comments, and it's great that you're doing that to look out for your elderly neighbors, and I hope more people take every little example of the good that's being done as an inspiration to take a step back and ask yourself, is there something that I can do within my atmosphere, my environment, however big or small it may be, the example yesterday, uh, Peter, of, of Robert Kraft sending the Patriots 767 over to China to get 1.2 million N95 masks, having 300,000 of those sent to New York City because of the inspiration that he took from Governor Andrew Cuomo's handling of the situation and Kraft's ties to New York City given his time at Columbia University. That's the kind of thing that we all should look to and say, what can we do? We don't have a, six, a 767 we can send anywhere to get masks, but yeah. maybe there's something we can do within our own sphere of influence. And part this show is part of what we can do, but there's other things that we can do as well. All right, um, that's the good news. There's, there's, uh, there, there's some, you know, and, and this is a delicate issue in some respects, but in other respects it's not. It's very simple. Peter, every day now we're seeing photographs of NFL players who are engaged in reckless, selfish, and stupid behavior. And I don't know whether it's ignorance. I don't know whether it's deliberate. I don't know whether it's a little of both. But every time I see a picture that is the aftermath of guys going to a football field somewhere, working out in a way that clearly does not mesh with the guidelines that people should stay at home. And Dr. Anthony Fauci made it clear yesterday over and over again, there should be national guidelines for everyone to stay at home. Beyond that, they got their arms draped all over each other. Forget about social distancing. Yesterday it was Dak Prescott, Des Bryant, and others. I can't quite make out who the others were, but it's clearly Des and Dak. Come on, guys, especially Dak. Dak's got an obligation as a franchise quarterback of America's team, there are kids out there that look up to him. They're going to follow his lead. And if they see him acting like this is no big deal, if they see him completely ignoring the concept of social distancing and more accurately physical distancing, how in the hell are we supposed to get people to do the right thing, Peter? How are we supposed to do it? I'm ashamed of Dak for doing this. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume it was stupidity. But he's got to make this right. And I've been waiting and watching for some kind of apology or statement of something from Dak Prescott saying to kids out there, look, I shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't do it. This is an important time. Lives are at stake, and we're going to do better moving forward. 
knowing the Dallas Cowboys, even if there is a strained relationship right now between Dak Prescott and the people who sign his paycheck or signed his paycheck, uh, he will hear it from somebody in the organization, I'm sure, if not his agents, that you're going to need to put out a statement. You're going to need to say something about this. The one thing the Dallas Cowboys have always done right is, you know, the right thing in terms of what you do in public, okay? And that is what I would anticipate happening at some point today. Because you're absolutely right, Mike. Dak Prescott is a good human being. He's a good person. But this is beyond tone deaf. You know, you can't be touching other people publicly at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the opportunity of our lifetimes to use our platforms, whatever they may be, however large they may be, to influence others. And we can either seize that opportunity and influence others in a positive way, or we can engage in reckless and foolish behaviors that send a horrible message to people out there who still are on the fence. And there are still plenty of people who are on the fence. We see the videos of guys playing basketball, people playing soccer. There are a lot of people who are just going about their lives, and it's still happening even a month into this crisis. So here's hoping that we hear something from the Cowboys, Dak, or both, acknowledging that what happened yesterday shouldn't have happened. And, Peter, I've asked the league about this because I think this is going to be a trend. I think we're going to see more and more players getting together to get out onto a football field, especially players who are just getting to know each other, like, for example, Tom Brady and his new Tampa Bay teammates, and they're going to be out there engaging in unsafe behaviors, posing for photos, and the league at some point needs to drop the hammer. I've looked at the personal conduct policy, and I don't want to be Mr. Hall monitor here, but again, this is the challenge of our lifetimes, and lives are at stake. If the NFL is going to chase guys around over things far less trivial than preventing the spread of a virus that is killing people by the thousands worldwide, if the league isn't going to use the personal conduct policy to tell its players, thou shalt not engage in these behaviors that, number one, are inherently unsafe. Number two, spread the virus. Number three, send a reckless message to kids out there who see these photos and hear about these workouts. If the league isn't going to use the personal conduct policy for that, why the hell do they even have the thing? Mike, and and I'll, I'll take this one step further. Here's one of the ways that this whole kind of haphazard slapdash sets of policies around the United States uh, really could have an impact on this, and I mean a negative impact. You know, one of the very few states that hasn't ordered people as a state to stay home is Missouri. So you say, well, what about the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, Andy Reid is being a good soldier. He's doing all his work from home. Brett Veach, the general manager of the Chiefs, doing his work from home. The mayor of Kansas City has basically said, I want everybody in the city to stay in uh, you know, this is my civic order. But what happens if you're a player on the Kansas City Chiefs? And what happens if you drive 20 minutes outside of town where you're outside of Kansas City and you can go work out with eight or 10 fellows, uh, you know, of, of your peers with the Chiefs if you so chose? And I'm not saying anybody is or anybody will. But when you have all these policies that are not singular policies. I think it leads to these things. You know, the, the state doesn't have a policy. The city has a policy. 
if if the if the team that is in that city wants to not violate the policy, players could go out three or four towns over and have a workout and not be in violation of anything. It's all this haphazard thing. And I think the sooner we basically say everybody basically, even though it's going to kill the economy, everybody's just got to stay home for the next two or three weeks other than to go to the grocery store and to walk the dog. That is it. And until we do that, I think we're going to have these these little outbreaks in all of these little places in the country. And Peter, I'll take it a step farther. And look, this is not political by any means. Democrat, Republican, I don't care. I want people to be safe. I want this pandemic to be contained. To the extent that we cannot trust our public institutions to handle this properly, it becomes even more incumbent on our private institutions to do so. And to the extent that the National Football League is one of the most prominent private institutions in our country, if not our world, and it aspires to be one of the most prominent private institutions in the entire world by way of exporting games to other countries every year, there's a greater obligation for the NFL to stand up and tell its players what is wrong with the images that we've seen the last couple of days, starting with Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown, and Antonio Brown on Wednesday, continuing with Dak Prescott and Des Bryant on Thursday. The NFL needs to send a strong and clear message to its players, its employees, and the public. If the public institutions aren't going to do it, the NFL needs to grab an oar and start rowing. And so far, Peter, the NFL has failed in that regard. Agree totally. This should be a statement either from Roger Goodell or Dr. Alan Sills, uh, who directs all, uh, you know, medical efforts inside the league. Uh, That should be a statement issued today saying that our players should be a beacon for the rest of the country. And Mike, you're absolutely right. What you said about, about Dak Prescott, what possibly would keep a high school quarterback in the state of Texas Vitalizes the Dallas Cowboys. What possibly would keep him from calling up eight of his friends after their whatever virtual classes they have to take today and going out to the high school field, throwing the ball around or playing seven on seven? Nothing. That's why it's important to stand up right now and to be counted. You mentioned Dr. Sills. Interesting item at NFL.com with comments from Sills that reflect a far greater degree of pragmatism and realism than the quotes that were generated on Tuesday by NFL General Counsel Jeff Passion. Peter, I don't know if you were on the conference call with Jeff Passion and other executives in the aftermath of the ownership meeting that occurred by phone on Tuesday. There was a Twilight Zone quality to Pash's muted nonchalance is the best phrase I can come up with. As he said, we plan to proceed with a full season in full stadiums on time. Dr. Sills took it in a different direction, and he's walking back what Pash said. As long as we're still in a place where when a single individual tests positive for the virus, you have to quarantine every single person who is in contact with them in any shape, form, or fashion, then I don't think you can begin to think about reopening a team sport because we're going to have positive cases for a very long time. That is a far more realistic assessment of where the league is right now. And instead of saying we plan to have a full season, I want to hear the NFL reflect something that meshes with reality. We will plan for every scenario, and we will have a plan for every scenario, and we will make our decisions based upon the way this pandemic continues to act, behave, 
or rescind based upon the passage of time. That's what we need to hear from the NFL. And I think that it wasn't an accident that they had Dr. Sills come out and really provide a strong counterbalance to what Pash said on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, here's here's one of the things, Mike, in the wake of all of this flurry of activity, the, the league meeting this week and, and, and all that. I believe that one of the reasons that the NFL won't announce its schedule until May is that it gives the NFL time to do two things. Number one, to survey the landscape. What's going to happen between now and uh, May 9th? What kind of shape is this country going to be in? And it also gives an opportunity for the NFL to make sure with this schedule that it does two or three things. And I've basically said one of these things, I've written about this, that I would expect the first two weeks of this schedule this year on everybody's schedule will be one road and one home. So that if you have to contract uh, the schedule, you know, if, 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 you, if you have to shorten it by two weeks, you can easily do it by lopping off two games, most likely non-division games in the first two weeks of the season. The other thing that I believe, and, and look, Mike, for the last five years, every year I have been in with this schedule team, you know, led by Howard Katz. Uh, I've been in with these, these people and they go over, I'm, I'm, as, as many people who have read what I've written, tens of thousands of schedules get looked at by these four or five people in on the schedule committee before Howard Katz brings a final schedule, which would happen quite literally right about now or maybe a week from now. He'd bring it to Roger Goodell. They'd talk about it and they'd say, can we play this schedule? Yeah, okay, let's do it. But I believe that this time also gives the NFL schedule team the option of looking at both 14 and 12 game schedules. In other words, Mike, if you, not that they're going to make anything like this public, I don't think, and I don't know that they're doing this for sure. It's just my gut feeling because they look at so many options that I would wager that they are looking at a, at a schedule that would begin in late September of a 14 game schedule probably keeping the buy, uh, the buys rather, and then maybe a 12-game schedule beginning in the middle of October, and that would be one that probably wouldn't keep the buy, just a guess of mine. So in my opinion, waiting for the schedule does a little bit more than just giving the NFL something to talk about after the draft is over. I think it is a more pragmatic view of exactly what Alan Sills was talking to Judy Batista about with you know the pragmatism of we we're going to have to test all these players virtually every week at least or give them uh, take their temperature before every game. Yeah, you're absolutely right Peter and this is the kind of transparency that I think the NFL needs to start injecting into its planning so people will look at what the NFL is doing and realize they are taking this seriously. They are planning for any scenario. They're not just stubbornly putting their head down and trudging forward, oblivious 
to the challenges that everyone is facing, including the National Football League. We need to take a break. When we return, how will the coronavirus pandemic affect the draft? A new memo from the NFL to teams yesterday calls into question one of the things that also was said during Tuesday's conference call with reporters regarding draft planning. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Are you hearing of anybody that is videotaping a pro day and then sending it to all 32 teams or posting um, it or just I mean, some people are like, some people are like kind of making YouTube videos and stuff, but I'm actually supposed to uh, record like a 40 video kind of on Thursday and show like just some drills, kind of put that out there, show the teams that I'm healthy and stuff. So um, I'm, I'm actually getting a guy to kind of record that stuff for me. Um, he, he lives in Fort Wayne, so he's kind of like a short drive up. Um, so I'm definitely trying to put something out there, kind of show teams and kind of put, put a little below trust them and know that I'm going to be back to what I am, who I, who I was. That's Notre Dame's Julian Aquaro with Jack Collinsworth. We met with Julian at the scouting combine. What a different world it was just five weeks ago in Indianapolis. Distance training, <laughs> ready to get back in the game with yeah. Jack Collinsworth. New digital series, which provides fans with a day in the life of some of the top athletes across all sports as they work under our new social distancing world. You can find daily shows on the NBC Sports YouTube channel, NBCSports.com and the NBC Sports app. So, uh, you know, the, the draft is coming. The, it's going to happen. There's no point arguing against it. It's going to happen. And the NFL is realizing as it goes, Peter, that there are going to be some very real impediments to making the draft happen the way that they would like it to. On Tuesday, the NFL announced during the conference call with reporters after the league meeting by conference call that they would allow small war rooms of up to 10 and there had to be proper practices, social distancing and hand cleaning, et cetera. And then I think somebody realized, wait a minute, in most states now, there's a stay-at-home order and there's no exception for NFL teams need to get together to draft their players. And if you have only one state where the NFL does business that says, sorry, NFL, we're not going to give you a dispensation from the stay-at-home order, you have a competitive imbalance. And the NFL sent a memo yesterday, it was first obtained by ESPN.com, explaining that there's going to be one of two approaches. One, teams will be allowed to assemble at their facilities up to 10 with appropriate social distancing measures. Or two, everybody's going to have to be at home. And Peter, I think, frankly, that memo is the first step at saving some face because they got over their skis on Tuesday with this up to 10 people can get together. There's no way they're going to get permission from every state where there's a stay-at-home order to allow their employees to gather at the team facilities. This is not an essential function. It's essential to the NFL teams. It's right. not essential from the perspective of what is and isn't allowed when it comes to staying at home versus leaving your home. Mike, I don't see how I don't see how Alan Sills and and uh, and and anybody who because basically what they would have to do, what the NFL would have to do is, uh, you know, for instance, the New York Giants and New York Jets who do business in New Jersey, they would have to make some sort of appeal to the governor of New Jersey or, or to, to somebody in state government to say we would like to open our building to, to 10 people or less for a three-day period in order to hold the draft. Now, just multiply that, Mike, times, uh, you know, times 31 or, or times 32, excuse me. You know, and basically, what if Gavin Newsom 
the governor of California tells the Rams, you can't go into your building in Thousand Oaks. Tells the Chargers, they can't go into their building uh, in Orange County. And the 49ers, you can't go into your building in Santa Clara. So, so it, Roger Goodell has made it clear that if one team doesn't have the advantage of working in its facilities, then no teams will. And, and the NFL, like my feeling is right now, they should just start to plan on having these things in people's homes. And let's just say right now that even with the stay-at-home order, would the NFL or with, would the public, uh, you know, fathers, mothers in these states, would they allow gatherings of 10 in private homes? That's what I don't know yet. That's what is unclear. But, Mike, we're also looking, you know, Kevin Demoff of the Rams, uh, I, I was on a call with him yesterday, and one of the things he's talking about is, you know, we're in this brave new world with all this video conferencing. We got to be sure that we've got, we've got good encryption with all of this video conferencing because, obviously, if the Rams have a bunch of people on a, on a video conference on the night of the draft, they don't want the 49ers being able to say, hey, let's listen into what the Rams can do. And look, I know nothing about the security of these things. But if NFL teams are worried about the encryption of this, this is another little factor why Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, told me the other day, hey, our IT guys have been our MVPs this offseason. And so the IT guys are going to have to do even more in the next three weeks to make sure that nobody is spying on the video conferences during the draft. So there are 900 little, little things like that that NFL teams have to take care of before the draft. And, you know, I don't want to cast aspersion or throw stones, but again, this is the challenge of our lifetimes, and it's incumbent on all of us to do what is right and responsible. The fact that as of Tuesday, there was a blind spot for the NFL as it relates to the many stay-at-home orders and the obvious conflict between the stay-at-home orders and the desire to assemble in groups of up to 10 for the draft, it tells me that somebody isn't thinking these things through, Peter, the way that they should. And if they're not thinking things through on something that is obvious that we know about, what else are they not thinking through the way they should behind the curtain? It's alarming, it's concerning, and it's all the more reason for the NFL to find a way to stand up and start showing leadership. And look, Peter, even if they get permission from all of the states in which the NFL does business to gather at their team facilities, we go back to what we talked about in the last segment. What kind of message does that send? When we are expecting millions of people to stay home, who to them, their jobs are essential. To them, they're thinking, why can't we get together for a meeting at our accounting firm or at our law firm or at our advertising firm or wherever? Why can't we have a meeting? The NFL's having their meeting. Their meetings as important to them as our meeting is to us. So this is another example where the NFL has to take a step back and realize the same rules apply to everyone. And if the NFL acts like the rules are different for them, other people are going to say, well, why are we worried about these rules? Yeah, that's why I think, Mike, as as, as painful as it is, the NFL uh, is probably going to have to very strongly consider having the head coach in his house, the general manager in his house, uh, the scouts in their house, and they all be connected virtually. 
And I also think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, right now, uh, as the NFL looks at it, there's a 10-minute drafting window in the first round, seven minutes in the second round, uh, or second and third, right? And then five minutes in four through seven. (coughs) Excuse me. And so at this point, I think one of the things that you look at, Mike, is the, the fact that I think they're going to have to look at expanding those, uh, those windows. And I think particularly in the early rounds when most teams really talk a lot, they talk trade a lot. I mean, the last time I was in a draft room for the, for the weekend was 2017 and you know the San Francisco 49ers made 19. Uh, they tried with 19 different teams to trade up into the first round. Good thing they didn't because they were trying to trade up for Reuben Foster. <laughs> but but it, it, that is what so many teams do. So I've already heard from one team that you know speaking, and I don't want to get too far off the topic because I know your point here, but. I've already talked to one team that is thinking about assigning to different members of their organization. Like, okay, director of college scouting, you are going to have the following X number of teams that you are going to check in with. We're going to send out a note. Hey, if you uh, want to talk, your first point of contact in our organization will be John Doe, our director of pro personnel. And then to six other teams, your first point of contact will be uh, Jack Smith, our director of college scouting. So those are the kind of things that I believe at the end of the day are probably going to have to be done. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And it's that kind of creativity that the teams who get it, the teams who are accustomed to having great football operations, they're going to figure this out and they're going to be ready to go. But it will create more challenges. And I got no problem with more time between picks what else are we doing right I don't care if the first round is a little bit longer or rounds two and three take more it's that's one of the reasons why they're going through with this it's giving those of us who are adhering to the requirement to stay at home something we can number one look forward to and number two spend a lot of time following and watching on tv on april 23 through april 25 all right let's take a break when we return The Jaguars are looking to trade Yannick Ngakwe. They got two first-round picks and a fourth-rounder for Jalen Ramsey. Are they looking for a similar kind of home run package for Ngakwe? We'll talk about that next on PFT Live. Yannick Ngakwe wants out of Jacksonville. He's subject to the franchise tag. He's made it clear that he's ready for a new start. The Jaguars are making it clear that they're not going to let him go unless they get a significant package. ESPN reports that the Jaguars are beginning their talks on Ngakwe, looking for a first-round pick and more. Now, last year, Frank Clark netted for the Seahawks a first-round pick in 2019, a second-round pick in 2020. D. Ford got for the Chiefs only a second-round pick in 2020. So maybe Ngakwe somewhere in between. But look, here's the reality. Whoever trades for Ngakwe is acquiring the immediate obligation to sign him to a massive long-term deal. And that necessarily is going to impact the willingness to give the Jaguars a major package. Peter, it's a sliding scale. The more you give the team, the less you give the player. 
The more you give the player, the less you give the team. So it's not going to be an easy deal to get done. But I think at some point the Jaguars just have to call the ball and move on from Ngakwe. And I think they want to. They just have to be coy about it and they have to act like they're digging in their feet in order to get the best possible deal. I think if I were the Jaguars, a realistic package to me is a low one and a four. Um, something like that. Uh, or maybe two two twos, two, two, with the two this year being, say, in the first 10 picks of the round. So, And I know they'll say, oh, my God, we'll never do that. Well, then you're going to have a very unhappy player on a team that probably everybody in that organization is fighting for its job. Uh, and you'll have also a player who will cost you a jillion dollars in 2021 if you have to franchise them for a second time. So I, I think they're going to be forced to take the best deal they can. In fact, Tony Baselli, who does Jaguars on the radio, said yesterday uh, on the Jaguars flagship station that he thinks that he'll, it, it was, he was very sure that he'll be gone uh, this offseason. I shouldn't say very sure, but he just thought he would be gone this offseason. My feeling is, Mike, Jaguars need to get realistic and cut out the last bit of real unhappy player from their 2019 team. Uh, Baselli, by the way, one of the COVID-19 victims who has recovered. He shared some comments yesterday about what a scary experience that was. We have the story at profootballtalk.com. The Chiefs, as we discussed earlier this week, Peter, had $177 in cap space. Not $177,000, $177. They have more now, according to... Yahoo Sports, they have ex not extended, but reworked the contract of receiver Sammy Watkins, creating $5 million in cap space by reducing his base salary to $9 million. He can reach $16 million with incentives, but uh, those incentives are probably pretty high, and they probably far exceed the production we've seen from him so far in two seasons with the Chiefs. Look, this makes sense for everyone. They weren't going to trade his $14 million base salary. He was going to get cut if he didn't take less money. He's taken less money. He stays with the Chiefs, and he continues to be an important part of that offense, even if he isn't racking up huge numbers. You know, the great thing for the Chiefs is that they got uh, Sammy Watkins at a very manageable number. Now, for everybody who said, man, that's pretty good, a pretty good deal for the Chiefs, Watkins has been a great receiver at times. And I, and I would say to him, well, let's just hang on for a minute. Sammy Watkins, over the last four years of his career, has averaged 37 catches and four touchdowns a year. I mean, come on. Sammy Watkins is a nice piece to have to your jigsaw puzzle. But in my opinion, right now, it's, you know, they, they have now retained their major forces in their offense. Like, in my opinion, when, uh, you know, when Eric Bieniemy when you know when uh, Frank Kafka and Andy Reid when they start sitting in and making their game plan you know they're going to have a tremendous advantage over the rest of the league you know why because not only do you have Mahomes back okay and there is your guy but every one of his top 4 weapons or every I'm sorry every one of his top 5 weapons is now under contract for this year Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Watkins Robinson, and obviously McCall Hardman. Now, Mike, what an advantage that is in this time and place that, first of all, you played later in the year than anybody else, 
okay? You played into February. Now you'll have all this time off. But when you gather, you're not going to have to have a team that's going to learn a new offense or anything like that. This is a great move for the Kansas City Chiefs. Absolutely critical point. The learning curve is going to be far easier for the teams who have continuity, and there's the continuity with Sammy Watkins. And look, I had been suggesting maybe a trade during the draft of Sammy Watkins, which in theory isn't out of the question. The contract is more tradable now. But the thing is, with so many great young receivers in the draft, I don't see anyone giving up a significant a package to the Chiefs for Watkins, and they should want him. And at $9 million, that's more in line with where he is and what he means. And even though his regular season production hasn't been great, he had 288 yards in the postseason this year, and he had one of the most important plays of Super Bowl 54 when he relied upon what he saw from Devontae Adams in the NFC Championship game against Richard Sherman to get inside of Sherman for a long catch at a key moment of the right. fourth quarter. All right. Derrick Henry, the Titans running back, has signed his franchise tender. He's under contract for 2020 at a base salary of $10.2 million. And look, it requires him to show up for everything, but there's not going to be an offseason program, so there's nothing to show up for anyway. He is uh, guaranteed his money, assuming there's a football season, and now they can continue to discuss a long-term deal, Peter, through July 15. And John Robinson, the GM of the Titans, has said that they will continue to try to turn this one-year contract into a long-term arrangement. I can understand why Derrick Henry uh, and his agents would say, okay, we're glad to have this insurance policy. The only way we're signing a long-term deal is if we get a real legitimate contract. We understand the running back story in the NFL today. They're not paid the way running backs always have been paid. But, Mike, I'll just say this. You know, I don't know watching any running back in the last few years in the NFL. I don't know any of them, even the ones who've gotten paid lightly, you know, like Devontae Freeman. Tell me what running back has been worth a big second contract truly worth a big second contract i mean a big contract you just haven't seen it and that's why i understand you look at you look at henry now and you say oh my god we got to keep him we got to pay him i i I'd tread a little lightly there and if i were the tennessee titans i wouldn't mind at all if he played this year under the tender and we didn't sign him long term and one other thing if i'm derrick henry i would look at this if I could get four years and ratchet up the guaranteed money to maybe 22 or 25, and I know that his agents are probably saying, oh my God, that's just not enough. You know, I think it might be enough in the new post girly running back landscape. I think you're absolutely right, Peter. I can't think of a team that did that massive second contract other than the Vikings who signed Adrian Peterson in 2011 to his second deal, and he was the league MVP in 2012 after tearing his ACL to cap the 2011 season. Most of these guys recently, when they get the second contract or the big contract like Le'Veon Bell last year on the open market, the production isn't there. And it's maybe better to dangle that carrot for another year for Derrick Henry. Yes, he's going to get paid a lot of money, but that lure of the long-term deal may keep him moving in the direction that he has been in recent years. I, I don't know what the reason is. I don't know if it's wear and tear. I don't know if it's psychological where they feel like they've, they've reached their, their goal and now they can exhale and they're not as effective after they do that. But we haven't seen great performance out of running backs 
in uh, recent years when they get the second contract. Real quick point on Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He had a follow-up medical exam on Thursday, similar to the medical recheck that they do at the scouting combine, but not the usual medical recheck. So it's not as thorough as it would have been, but reportedly, and this isn't surprising, Tonga-Vailoa's representatives described the results as overwhelmingly positive. What else are they going to say? They're trying to get him drafted as high as possible. And this is, <laughs> Peter, one of the big challenges of this draft, the players with red flags medically. Where do you roll the dice and take the chance that he really is as good as he says and his agents say? I thought it was really, really interesting this week, Mike, that uh, that Mike Tannenbaum, the former general manager of the Dolphins, who still has – very good contacts in the organization said on ESPN's get up show that, uh, uh, that he would never take uh, Tua in the top 10 picks. He just thinks the risk is just too great. Um, and the guaranteed money you're going to have to give a guy who just remember three times in his last 13 months uh, had major injuries. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the two high ankle sprains, uh, at least one of which uh, required surgery, uh, and then obviously the major hip surgery. So I think, uh, and and again, I I have no idea if Tannenbaum is talking to Chris Greer or Stephen Ross or any, I I don't know, but I do think it's interesting that you know his advice would be uh, don't take this guy in the top ten. And Mike, I, I think the larger question is. Where Tua Tagovailoa is chosen in this draft is a referendum on Justin Herbert. It's a referendum on Jordan Love. If you want to be sure about your quarterback, if you're the LA Chargers and you're a draft and develop team and Tom Telesco sat at the right hand of Bill Polian for a long time, draft and develop guy. So if you're that way, do you trust Justin Herbert at number six? Uh, what if Tua is sitting there? Would you take a chance at Tua, knowing that you're probably playing Tyrod Taylor this year? These are going to be intriguing questions in this draft. All right, quick break. When we return, Football Week in America continues tonight with one of the most memorable or, for some, forgettable fourth-down decisions of all time. We'll be back with more right after this. Football Week in America continues tonight on NBCSN. 7 Eastern, Colts versus Patriots. 9.30 Eastern, Chargers versus Saints. The early game comes from 2009. The late game comes from 2012. The late game consists of Drew Brees breaking the Johnny Unitas record for consecutive games with a touchdown pass. And one thing I have learned the hard way, Peter, because you and I remember the outcomes of a lot of these games, and most of us in the media remember, so it's not really a spoiler alert to talk openly about what happened in the games. There's a lot of people out there who have forgotten. And I have gotten some angry emails from people saying, why in the hell do you mention during the show what happens in the game? I want to watch the game again. I can't remember what happened. So I am no longer commenting on who won any of these games. Watch them like they're fresh and maybe you'll be surprised. But you know what, Mike? I, I don't remember who won that. I remember who won the Colts-Patriots game, but I don't remember who won that Chargers-Saints game. And so I might be inclined to watch it. And I really like the fact that they're kind of mini condensed games, right? 
I mean, it's really cool to be able to watch that. When I watch NFL Game Pass a lot, the best function is when you can put it ahead 10 or 15 seconds and just keep popping it, popping it, you know? So I, I think that is a great little aspect of these uh, NBC Sports Network uh, re-games that we're showing. And I'm going to make a programming suggestion here, not that any of the executives ever listened to me for obvious reasons, but maybe the next time this happens, if there is a next time, the selection should be more obscure games that we've for- that yeah. we really have forgotten about. They really do make us yeah. think, boy, what happened in that game? That, you know, when you know when it's a big right. game, and we know, we all know what happened. That, that's a different element to. I'm going to watch this game because I really Even, don't hey, know. Mike, Mike. Even if you might remember the games, like. Honestly, I wouldn't mind re-watching the opening Thursday night. I mean, the opening game of the 2017 season where, uh, you know, the Alex Smith's last great shining moment on a national stage, maybe forever, probably forever. But he was so great in that game. And remember what else happened in that game? Kareem Hunt who wasn't even a household name in his own household before that game, goes on this 65-yard wheel route and leaves the Patriots linebackers in the dust. But those are the kind of things. That, to me, was such an interesting strategic game. Andy Reid going to the house of Belichick and winning that game. But the one other thing I will always remember about that game, Mike, remember in Tom versus Time, when that show comes on and what was so cool about that show is that Gotham Chopra is basically sitting in the back seat of the car and here's on the way home from that game and there's Tom Brady driving Giselle Bunchen, and Giselle is trying to say hey listen it's gonna be okay you guys will be fine you guys and Brady is just stewing in the front seat thinking that this 41 to 27 loss is going to be an allegory for this Patriot season. And luckily for them, I mean, it may not have turned out exactly the way he wanted but that season, but it turned out to be a pretty good season for them. A full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be back right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 